Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Now you can laugh. I'm the up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Merry Christmas, beloved listeners. It's Murph and Ken here for the Irish Times Second Captain Football Show. And I don't know about you, Ken, but maybe it's, maybe it's the onset of old age, or at least middle age. Hmm. Uh, but I've been finding it difficult to get into the festive spirit. Why? This year, I mean, I don't know, I think... I think maybe it's because our beloved Premier League footballers haven't been flogged to death in a cruelly overburdened with the uh, hideous, cruel and unusual fixture schedule so far this year. Mm. I mean, it's going to be nearly a full week from their last game to when they play on Boxing Day, which I just think is absurd. Yeah. I mean, well, how are we supposed to entertain ourselves over the Christmas period? There should be a bit... I mean, There should have been a full round of fixtures it's, today. It's taking the blood sport out of the league. I know. Um, it's turning it into something that, you know, I'm not entirely sure I'm in support of, quite frankly. Um, now, they, I mean, I suppose they do have um, a, a bit of a bunch up around uh, New Year's, don't they? I mean, most teams have about four days off, or at least a stretch of four days, but there's a couple of teams that have, like, one day between games. Mm. Um Chelsea are the exception there. I think Chelsea have a nice, easy run um, in terms of days of rest, which is which is great for the league at this point. Also, Chelsea don't have any uh, players who might be going to the um, African Cup of Nations, hmm. which is also which is another bonus. Yeah, and they've got to think about that sixty million they're getting for Oscar and how to reinvest that possibly in the January transfer window. God, as there's well. a lot going on for Chelsea, isn't there? Uh, I mean, I'd like the the image that I want of my Premier League footballers over the course of the Christmas is you know ben, uh, Charlton Heston in Ben Hur, you know, just getting flogged to death. Yeah, that's what I want. Your eyes are full of hate. Forty one. <laughs> you want to see um, screens being put up at, at grounds around yeah. and, and men with shotguns, you know, yeah. just sort of yeah, yeah, you know, with, with and, and sad. Unfortunately, Chris Brunt has had to be put down. <laughs> that's. Uh, Obviously, but, I don't wish actual death on Chris. Of Brown. course, he's picked him at random. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's maybe it's 
it's this rationalization that's going on, this this slow enlightenment of the game that's just making it so much less fun for everybody. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm in, Eng- in in England for Boxing Day. Oh yeah, whereabouts? Um, I'm about 15 miles outside the beautiful city of Hull. The beautiful city of Hull. You're gonna you're gonna go it's and dump. Uh, no. <laughs> now, come, now I'll, I'll stop you right there, Simon. Right there, because the East Riding of Yorkshire is a beautiful place. Yeah, I was in uh, the Tesco in Ghoul, uh, December twenty eighth, twenty ninth, maybe Ghoul. That's literally the name of the town. Yeah, and I, uh, as it was bruising the, as you can Bru- imagine, bruising, browsing okay. the uh, extremely heavily stocked uh, book department in that particular Tesco. Yeah. Uh, the title that really jumped out at me was the. Um, Sky Sports uh, Rugby League Review Season 2009-2010. <laughs> that was the most readable thing in the in the bookshelf. No, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I did have a look at the fixtures when I realised that I was going to be in England for uh, for Christmas. Or hold it home. Hold, hold it Tigers. home. And they're at home to Man City. Now, unfortunately, it's 5.15. Oh, right, okay. And also, there's no way in hell I probably would have been allowed to sneak away from my in-laws for you can just see four or five hours. I mean, I, I don't know. For some people, the allure of Pep is not is perhaps not quite as strong as it might be for me. Mm. But um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, that idea that the the Boxing Day fixture. I think I would have liked to have checked it out. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I suppose you just have to watch on TV, like like so every other others. every other pleb. Okay, Ken, let's let no sport go unreported. So I guess we'll start today with um, well, here's some quotes from. Uh, from Carlos Tevez, Footballer of the Year in Italy, 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's last year. Yeah. Still last year. Um, He's with Boca Juniors now, isn't he? Not exactly. Um, well, I mean, I, I, I say that. It's just, it's just, it was just such a beautiful, romantic story that, you know, a footballer from humble beginnings would go back... I mean, he's probably taken a massive pay cut to go mi, back there, but... Mi corazón explota de felicidad. Gracias por bancar el frío... Poor Esperame, I can't speak Spanish, I can't pronounce it at all. But I am reading Carlos Tevez's tweet from when he uh, went back to uh, to Boca Juniors in last summer. Ya estoy en casa. Uh, Gracias, Carlitos, por volver, said the banner draped by none other than, scrawled and draped by none other than Diego Elgez Maradona. And hung over the the side of the um, what should we call it uh, terrace thing yeah. uh, to welcome Carlitos. He was Maradona was one of forty thousand fans there to uh, at, present at the unveiling. Um, Some things money just can't buy, Ken. Well, one of those things is happiness, as Tevez says. Money doesn't buy happiness. Um, he smiled as the forty thousand fans uh, cheered. Um, why have you come back, Carlitos? First of all, because these are my people. Secondly, because I don't have to speak English or Italian. And third, because I'm back with my family. As a fan, I think the supporters need to experience joy and the love of the players. To win trophies, not just games. The fans got used to celebrating winning titles. We have to bring that mystique back. I want to show the youngsters what Boca is all about. Um, that was Tevez. The emotional Tevez having left Italy, left Italy as footballer of the year. I mean, he he was confirmed in December that year. The Italians give it out; they give the award out later. But you know, uh, his final season with Juventus was glorious. Um, only denied a treble in Berlin by Barcelona. Um, you know, huge success wherever he'd gone. Had made enormous amounts of money as well from 
signing for Manchester City, well, Manchester United and Manchester City, but the fact that he went from one mm. to the other really rocketed him into the sort of stratosphere wage-wise. And in fairness, has always been worth uh, whatever money he was he was earning, I think, for most of his clubs. He's, he's always been... Although he did say when he joined, when he rejoined Boca that when I was 26 or 27, I was fatter than anyone. Uh, that was when he was at Man City. <laughs> uh, but now I'm lean and mean. If you, if you look at him, he does look... He's he is lean and looking increasingly mean, in the way that you know Tevez is kind of a tough looking guy, mm. um, and uh, and when when such a man becomes gaunt and sort of uh, you know he there is there is an extra added sort of meanness to it. I don't know if he's still necessarily as powerful as he was. I mean, mm. presumably not. He's he's thirty two now, thirty three in February. Yes, a, a, a fatter Carlos Tevez is a danger of looking a little jolly. Um, yeah. Uh, and and he's, he doesn't look jolly at the moment at all. He's got a hungry, a lean and hungry look. Uh, so hungry, in fact, that he's left Baca for China. Hungry for something, <laughs> all right. <laughs> but Tevez is now the world's highest paid athlete. Wow. Tevez is earning £615,000 a week, um, which is well, a Holy lot more shit. than... <laughs> yeah. A lot more than Messi and Ronaldo. So I think everybody can understand when he turns around to the Baca fans and says... I love you, but I've got to go and mm. sign for Shanghai. I'm re- this is breaking my heart to do this, but have you seen how much money mm. they're offering me? The 32, soon to be 33-year-old Carlos Tevez, who had maybe thought, went back to Boca, the fee was 4.6 million. I'm sure the wages were not in the power with what he was getting at Juventus, certainly not in his Manchester City years is now the world's highest paid footballer, at least until the next uh, super signing of the Chinese league. I mean, if you're if you're Ronaldo right now, are you not even just out of idle curiosity trying to find out how much they would pay you? I don't think you have to work very hard to find that out, given that your agent is George Mendes, who is, uh, you know, certainly one of the main agents involved with the hmm. Chinese league. He's been over there. He's been spending increasing amounts of time in China. He was over there with Jose Mourinho um, in January or February before. Try you try and guess, like what would they pay Ronaldo? A week, if Tevez is on six hundred and fifty grand a week, six hundred and fifteen grand. Yeah, it's, uh, it's like a hundred million pounds a year. Yeah, this is a, there is a an absolute. I mean, it's just it's incredible, and it just I think it just sort of begins to throw into relief the kind of complacency that you see in English football. I mean, there are people. I mean, Jimmy Carragher, I think, called Oscar's move an embarrassment. You know. Like, wake up. You know, there's the people were saying the same things about players moving to England 20 years ago. Oh, why would you go there? It's all just, you know, people. Is Rude Hullet retired? Well, he's yeah. at Chelsea. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, it's it's not real football. It's just just um, pigs running around in the mud, you know, butting into each other. <laughs> that was that was the kind, that was a general Italian view of English football in the mid-90s. Um, and the reason players moved was for money. And there's, that's always been the way. And if Tevez is getting 615 grand, quite how this sunless little island that's just hacked clean its connections from, you know, <laughs> from the continent it's part of, it expects to continue to lead the world in this department, you know, with this sort of depreciating currency and everything else that's going on. It's just delusional, you know? As though China was some kind of... China. 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 We are talking about China... The, you know, one of the most ancient cradles of civilization 
Um, invented gunpowder, of course, Ken. Yeah, uh, they invented invented gunpowder. Invented lots of things. Paper is always down there on the list, mm-hmm. isn't it? There's a ton of diff- there's a ton of innovations, which you know in Europe we scoff at the Chinese. Ha! Huh, they invented gunpowder. They didn't think of making all these weapons out of it. Maybe you know? they just thought it was a bad idea, Ken. Yeah, you know? so they were like, well, you know, we could we could uh, make weapons to slaughter and exterminate each other. We could, you know, put on this nice fireworks display. Mm. Um, it was all very well until, you know, the colonial era when the Chinese paid for their pacifist ethos. Um, you know, things have changed again. But, you know, the idea that moving to China is like, you know, like being on a penal colony in Mars. You know what I mean? It's like, not Papia. This is, we're talking about an advanced civilization here with a lot to offer, an interesting place to live. The one big drawback of living in China that you certainly hear uh, Westerners who live there complain about is air quality. Air quality is not so good. You know, you've got um, massive concentrations of population and industry combined with not a lot of wind and whatnot, and you end up having to wear a a face mask. Uh, That's the kind of thing people complain about. It's a quality of life issue. Uh, other than that, the idea of, of moving there, playing there, if these kinds of wages are being paid to players who are clearly going to flock there. I'm imagining Carlos Tevez's golden face mask. I mean, if you were Kevin Doyle, for instance. I mean, Doyle plays for Colorado Rapids. Is that the, That's the name of the team. It's in Colorado anyway. What a great place to live. You know, and Doyle, when he, on his social media... He's always sort of tweeting, oh, here I am, I'm going to a baseball game, or we're on a hike, or whatever. You know, it's a, it's a beautiful uh, lifestyle, it's amazing. Um, kind of the, the best that America has to offer to people in a certain income category. The Kevin Doyle income category, I think, is around a million dollars a year. I mean, you can look up his, you can literally look up his wages, you know, it's not, a, it's not like secret information. Um, how, you know, how much more money would he need to live in China? Two million, three million? I'm not sure, but... I don't think it would be that much more. You know what I mean? I think there, there will be... Why would you go to Major League Soccer if you could go to China? You know, as to, to have it, it's, not, it's hardly as though being in Shanghai is going to be any more foreign than, mm. you know, being well, in Cheshire. Well, there is the English language. You know, for an English footballer, MLS is, you know, it's perhaps a more attractive option, just from the point of view just of... Just pay your friends, just pay your family to come over and <laughs> <laughs> talk English to you. Or, <clears throat> I mean, I, I'm just saying this is... It's it's clear what what is going to happen here. I mean, if you know, as long as the money keeps flowing, the outcome is actually inevitable. Mm. Um, so the idea that the idea that it's an embarrassment to move there, uh, yeah, you know, I think you got to you got to maybe sort of tailor that sort of talk. All right, expand um, the outlook. Uh, Jose Mourinho is it sounds like he's he, not going to China. Well, he says he's too young. Uh, Jose Mourinho is fifty three, uh, soon to be fifty four in January, I think. Uh, but he says he's too young to go to place in China. I want to stay in the most difficult place to win. I mean, Zlatan is also at... The, the, so there's talk of new contracts at, uh, at Manchester United for Mourinho. He's, he's, he has a three-year contract. He's obviously six months into that. Uh, he says they haven't offered it yet. I'm not expecting them to do because they gave me a three-year contract. They're being super supportive of me. They always gave me the feeling three years is not the time I'm going to stay. I've always had the feeling I'm going to stay for longer, that I'm loving it at every level, that I'm loving my job at Manchester United. This is really positive stuff from Jose mm. Mourinho. Love, 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 love. Uh, I know that if one day they bring a new contract, I sign it. I will sign it because... Love? I'm loving it. <laughs> um, so he doesn't feel as though the time is to go to China. But it's, it's, it must be a great feeling for him as well, knowing that... 
there is that out there. Mm. It's not like Mourinho is not going to manage Manchester City. He's hardly going to manage Arsenal. You know, I'm talking about if if he yeah. loves Manchester United at the moment, but as we know, as he said himself, he loves the club that he's with. Love the club you're with, rule number one. Mm. And he currently loves Manchester United. But, you know, if things were to change and he was to move on, where do you go? You know, for a manager at his level, uh, there aren't too many clubs left in Europe that he's either already married, ma- managed or poisoned his relationship with their fans, fans mm. to such an extent that they, he would be unacceptable. Now, there's an entire, there's a whole new world out there and you know he's got the agents he's got the connections he's got the profile to reap um it is it's nice to know that the there's an extraordinarily there's a daffy duck no what's the name of the guy that swims in his own pool of gold coins uh is it howard mcduck i know there's a duck like character scrooge 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 mcduck um i was thinking howard the duck uh, I don't know, but I'm, I know the duck you're talking about. He swims in in money, um, and Jose Mourinho, I think, can be re- reasonably confident that he can still be earning twenty five, thirty, forty million euros a year. Uh, Scrooge well, McDuck, well into the well, future. Um, I mean, Zlatan was a player who who had the chance to go there. He he decided not to, and I guess in his case, he had sort of his own reasons. I mean, Zlatan obviously has made a great deal of money. He is a little bit on the. I mean, thirty five is advanced age for a football player. But I think for him, it was actually worth more to prove to the English language world, yeah, I could easily have dominated your league if I'd been here when I was you know, 27. Um, he's currently on course, I think, for the best ever season by a 35-year-old striker in the Premier League, which is you know, pretty decent. Um, to win the Premier League, it's a war on nutrition. He takes good care of himself. Uh, I mean, the Manchester United He's players, winning the war of nutrition. He is. The, he, the Manchester United players are always purring about his body. Uh, when your teammates are all complimenting you on your, on I have your to say, watch, physique. Yeah, watching the West Brom game last weekend did strike me as this guy is... It's hilarious how big he is. Like, yeah. how, and how, to be fair, how good he is as well. I mean, he is... I mean, I, I don't know that he cares that much about proving a point to the English language world. No, I think he does. I think he really does. Because it's, it, it sort of affects how things will be for him, you know, going uh, going on with whatever the rest of his the career is going mm. to be. I mean, I don't mean his football career, I mean his career after football. Because it, it was always, there was always scepticism towards him, particularly in England, from people who had seen him play only a few Champions League games against English clubs and not do, not do much. Mm. I mean, until he started to. You know, he, he, he eventually he played at least one brilliant game for Barcelona against Arsenal. Um, at the Emirates, um, but he had had a few games which you know, he didn't really, he he didn't live up to his billing. Mm. And there was always this sort of ah, oh, you know, Satan. He scores goals in in Holland and France, you know, and didn't really work. Mickey Mouse League scored loads of goals in Barcelona as well, by the way. Yeah. Scored loads of goals in in Italy, Inter. but nobody takes Italian football seriously. Like I say, English English football is totally getting its revenge on Italian football over the last ten years. Yeah, well, everyone is well aware of the snooty attitude that we mentioned earlier that snooty dismissal that there used to be and now it's been completely completely reversed oh so Italian football right that's the on channels nobody has and you know in stadiums that nobody's at hmm <laughs> I mean we Rory Smith we had Rory Smith the other day on talking about uh, Francesco Totti and he suggested that a lot of it had to do with the camera angles mm. that ironically enough Italian football which had sort of pioneered the T- uh, tele- 
televisation, televisionization of football in the 80s and 90s hadn't cottoned on to the importance of a full-looking stadium mm. for TV broadcasts and had uh, allowed fans to sit in areas of the ground where they weren't getting picked up by the cameras and then there was these ex- bleak expanses of seats, empty seats and yeah, concrete yeah, yeah. where there was nobody. Um, I, I guess that's part of it, but it is true that the attendances are well down. Like it's 20,000 on average now for a Serie A game, which is, you know, it's it does seem to have some problems. Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling. Uh, it's, it's too much uh, uh, what were, Christmas what, cheer. Yeah, well, what we were talking about was uh, whether Zlatan wants to get knighted or not, or at least in OBE. Well, I think he just, he, he actually had a point to prove. It's like, this is the last, this is the last sort of big um, football culture that mm. I have yet to... Conquer. Exactly. I mean, he did, he scored the four goals against England. That was a, that was a big kind of, you know, four goals against England, one of which is a, is a 40, 35 yard uh, bicycle kick. kick. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to, to do it in the Premier League, um, as he has been, I think was worth more to him Maybe worth more to him, even in even in financial terms, over yeah, yeah, over yeah. the coming years than than it would have been just getting the cash in China for for something that people would have laughed at him for doing. It's an embarrassment, you know. Maybe he wouldn't have seen it that way. Anyway, Schneiderlin, um, the talk that he's moving to Everton that was mentioned. Uh, West Brom have bid for him as well, though. Tony Pulis likes the look of Schneiderlin. He's uh, this kind of strong player, strong mm. midfielder. He would like. Um, Mourinho had spoken about how. Some positions in our squad have overbookings. The attacking wing positions, not just pure wingers, but others who can play there. Um, See you later, Memphis. Uh, yeah, Rashford, Rooney, Lingard, Madden, Mkhitaryan, Martial, Depay, Young. So to be honest, people like Ashley Young and Memphis Depay, I didn't really give them a run of matches to play to prove. So I have a little bit of a bad feeling towards myself for that. Um, Schneider obviously doesn't play in that position, but he uh, reckons he's a bit of an overbooking as well. So... It's Tony Pulis or Ronald Koeman, it looks like, are the choices that, that he has at this time. Kevin De Bruyne? Kevin De Bruyne. Browner. Is it brown or Bruyne? I mean, it's it's, it's in between. It looks like Bruyne. It does, but it's Kevin an in-between. It's, in it's, it's basically one of those um, words that it's very difficult to say. In it's any like the Irish for the the surname Brown. De Bruyne. Uh. Well, how, do, Bruyne. How, how do you spell it in Irish? D E. Yeah. B or U, Father N. Well, that's simple. De Bruyne. Yeah. That's as simple as, as it could be. With this, you have to either adopt an affected Dutch Flemish accent and go, De Bruyne. Yeah. Or... Leave that to George Hamilton. It's like it's like the name of the uh, Russian president. P- P- Putin? Putin. <laughs> but it, clearly, it's, that's, it's like Putin. But you can't... Say yeah, that you, you, you actually—it's a—it's a word that's impossible to say in an English sentence without literally put, putting on a Russian accent, such, such that people around you are going, "Really? Did yeah. he just?" It's really not cool. Who's this guy? That, that kind of thing is just a bit. But in, but the alternative is Putin, which is just such a ridiculous <laughs> name. It is. For it's a it's a sort of benign sounding name for a um, you know, anyway. like a children's animated character. We don't invite Putin the bear. We don't invite uh, <laughs> uh, cyber attacks. I mean, we should. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, but what was the? Oh, what was Kim De Bruyne actually saying? He was talking about um, his boss. Uh, he was speaking to Sport Foot magazine in Belgium, uh, and he says, "What surprises Pep the most is that a lot of teams still play long ball." 
he sometimes thinks they'll play along the ground because they do it against other teams, but not against us. We were actually talking about this the other day. It's like, Pep, you know, Pep and, and Thierry Henry talking, oh, you know, it's all second balls here. And third balls. You know, it's all second balls, third balls, long balls. You know, um, and they're both kind of going, sheesh, you know. Uh, and it's kind of, how can you be surprised by this? Yeah. But then again, it's not the whole league that's like that. It's just the games, the Man City games. Yeah, if you're Pep Guardiola, all you're seeing is this. But yeah. unfortunately, that's not... It might have something to do with your goalkeeper um, that you made a big point of signing. The fact that everybody in England is convinced that he can, he can be got at. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's literally like it, you you have put into your team just a, a massive open invitation to yeah. rain in, rain in high balls on the city penalty area and let's see what Bravo is made of. Listen, we've got Ryan Shawcross here. Let's, you know, pat the least resistance here, you know. De Bruyne says, uh, he, I mean, because the, the sort of paradox of, of what was happening with Guardiola was, uh, particularly the Leicester game, the Leicester game kind of was a, a really bad moment because he he came, he played against Leicester in a way that nobody had played against Leicester since everyone figured out Leicester are lethal, you know, on the counter-attack. They're like, they've got their, like a venomous snake. You know, there's one thing that you don't want to do is play this way against them. And everyone had been doing it until Manchester City arrived, playing three at the back with a really high line and just got absolutely destroyed. Four, I mean, they're four nil down at one point. Just ridiculous. Um, and it was, how could Pep not have realised that that would be a really risky way to play against this team, given that he's supposed to do what he does all this analysis? I mean, his whole way of working is based around sitting at feverish hours of study of the of the opposition and, and trying to figure out what how to unlock them and what they do, and De Bruyne says, I feel like he he must sometimes tell himself that it's stupid. He spends so much time and puts so much energy into trying to find gaps to eventually tell us the team are going to play long ball. He must ask himself why he bothers at times. This is like Pep having spent two days concludes they're just going to stick it in the mixer, lads. I've <laughs> I've spent I've, I've spent thirty six of the last forty eight hours in the video analysis room. And they are going to stick it in the mixer. Mm. So, the <laughs> um, Browner talks about versatility on the field and so on. So, um, yeah, that's a Toure giving his boss some compliments as well. They're, they're, it's a bit of a love match for them. Although, remember, he's, he's probably going to be heading off to uh, Africa himself pretty soon. Mm. There's a list of the players um, I saw in the Times. El Neni from Arsenal, Max Gradle from Bournemouth, uh, Bakary Sacco from Palace, Idrissa Gay from Everton, uh, Islam Slimani, Riyad Mahrez, Jeff Schlupp, and Daniel Amarty from Leicester. Ooh, that's going to hurt. Sadio Mane uh, from Liverpool. Matip, the mm. uh, centre-back, he's he's actually at the centre of a bit of a dispute at the moment because he has fallen out with the manager of Cameroon. Um, and he said he doesn't want to play, basically, in the tournament. Mm. Cameroon are saying, screw you, we're calling you up. And if you don't play, we'll ensure that you're suspended for the duration. The tournament is, is uh, January 14th until uh, February 5th. Um, you know, so if, if you were to go the distance, it's, yeah, it's, it's at least a month out of the season. But they can, they're saying, basically, that if he refuses to turn up, they can invoke FIFA regulations, which say he can't play for anybody oh, okay, if, he, yeah. if he's going to ignore the uh, international duty. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, Eric Bailly from Manchester United, Yaya Toure, obviously Man City, Wilfred Bonny, uh, Mamed Juf, and Ramadan Sobi from Stoke, uh, Lamine Kone from Sunderland, 
Wabi Kazri also from there. Uh, Amrabat from Watford, Andre Ayu and Cheku Kiyate from West Ham. So Chelsea, as we mentioned earlier, um, untouched, untouched, uh, untouched by the current Africa Cup of Nations. Mm, okay, we better wrap here because Raphael Honigstein is waiting for us. The first minister's name, Kieran Murphy, our second captain, and John Henderson, former Kenny, and Wigner Herder. Thank you both indeed for that. Uh, that's our lot for today. Just one headline: the British Prime Minister Theresa May is to meet the Taoiseach and the Kenny in London tomorrow. This morning, she's at Stormont meeting Martin McGuinness and uh, also Theresa. Sorry, I've lost that. the first minister's name. Arlene Foster. Arlene Foster. Thank you for that. So there was a round of fixtures in the Bundesliga last night, uh, and it taught us something interesting, because when the scores are read out around the grounds um, at half-time, it appeared that pretty much everyone was cheering the fact that Bayern Munich were beating the hell out of Leipzig. They hate Leipzig more than Bayern. Yeah, I find it hard to believe, but there were these reports of uh, uh, fans cheering Bayern goals, which um, something has ever happened in the history of the Bundesliga. It just goes to show just how much people... Uh, reject the notion of Leipzig uh, being in the league and then uh, even more so uh, doing well. And uh, I, I still think that this is you know, something from discussions I'm having uh, hard to understand if you are um, versed in the, you know, the British um, uh, tradition of clubs being run as companies for hundreds of years and just being absolutely no, no big deal. What I would say is that the big difference here is from a German perspective is that this club was specifically set up as a marketing vehicle by by a drinks company. And I think it's that sort of blatant um, and rapid um, ascent to the top, thanks to the money from, from Red Bull, that uh, rubs people the wrong way. Is it the success, the, the kind of quick success that, that people get annoyed by, or is it... Or is it the fact that it's marketing as opposed to, say, in the case of, you know, the Volkswagen team uh, in Wolfsburg, the team having been set up as a kind of a public good by an industrial concern, you know, years back? Is it? Yeah. So, so what is it, the success or the, or the actual, you know, category of, of thing that Leipzig are? Well, I think it's a combination of the two because if Leipzig were just sort of a middling team with that not real big ambition to to fight for titles, to make it into the Champions League, then people wouldn't be as concerned. But because they're so strategic and so clever, that makes them, of course, even even more dangerous. And they have been hoovering up talent uh, quite systematically and putting noses out of joint, you know, even filtering through to the lower divisions when it comes to picking up 16, 17-year-olds, um, uh, like Joshua Kimmich, for example, who was bought from Stuttgart. Um, huge deal that uh, Stuttgart just couldn't, couldn't say no to and these kind of these kind of moves so it's i think it's hard for for germans to accept change um at the best of times but when it when it happens in relation to football and something new and uh, and radically commercial is being introduced they find it very hard and i think there is also this thing that because leipzig have this kind of feeder clubs underneath them that uh, makes them even more reprehensible, I think, from the views of the traditionalists. You know, they will now just pick up more players from Salzburg. And if they get into European football, which by the looks of it, they will, then Salzburg wouldn't be able to get into European football because you can't have two teams by the same owner. So, you know, Salzburg have been there now for, what, 15, 20 years, would just be sort of jettisoned because now they've got a team in a more important league. And it's a little bit, 
um, yeah, I think it's the kind of the, the unashamedness of it that is is a bit galling for people. How do have any of the Leipzig players uh, or you know, kind of sporting staff talked about this situation? Because it's kind of it's kind of weird. I mean. I know Hoffenheim had a kind of joke with them. Oh, we want to, you know, we want our mm-hmm. Mandel as the most hated team back. But this kind of the fact that they're being reviled, you know, the the Dortmund supporters made a point of going to Leipzig and then going to watch a different game, not the one mm-hmm. featuring Orbi Leipzig. So, have any of them kind of talked about how it feels to play for this team, which on the one hand is actually a pretty good team? I mean, they, they, they've got they're playing good football, they're scoring lots of goals. Um, you know, the games they're, they're producing are. Are very good, and yet everybody kind of is making a point of hating them. Has anyone expressed any views on that? Um, yeah, I mean they get asked about it all the time, and I guess from the players' point of view, it's it's one of those things that probably brings you closer together as a club. The fact that there is so much animosity towards you, and by and large, the animosity has not been uh, directed at specific players. You know, players have not been, to the best of my knowledge, uh, specifically targeted. You know, let's say on the day off, people, you know, with pitchforks running after them because they're an RB player. It is more sort of an, an abstract, more political kind of protest with banners, with things being said, with stuff being thrown to show that they don't want uh, RB as, a, uh, as an entity in the league rather than the specific um, people involved. The only one who's had regular personal attacks is Ralph Rangnick, sporting director, because he talks about uh, these things. He's very, very uh, vocal. He's very uh, unapologetic, um, and they love the fact that he's had um, at his last stint in the Bundesliga at Schalke to pull out mid-season with burnout and uh, some of the less um, kind supporters love to um, you know make make references to that uh, in banners and stuff and in a little bit. Uh, tasteless tasteless way but the i think the club and the fans in a way kind of love the fact that people take notice of them and find and have such strong feelings about them but i've also spoken recently to somebody who did a documentary on them and um some of the Leipzig fans insisted that their faces would be pixelated because they were afraid they'd be beaten up by other fans i mean that's, that's incredible it's, it's interesting to hear that about uh Rangnick as well i mean when you look at his career he, you know, he he has a, an interesting career. With uh, been at lots of different clubs, but the only real extended period that he had was at Hoffenheim, which obviously are, are are another of this type of club that a lot of people are suspicious of. He's a real outsider. I mean, he he seems to have a, a bit of an issue with the football he, establishment. He used to be an outsider. Now, of course, he is the 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 guy that's kind of disrupted disrupted everything. He's the the vanguard of the sort of disruptive technology coming into the league and and uh, upsetting the old guard, upsetting the traditions. And he's never really been um, somebody who um, is happy just to have success. He also, I think, loves talking about it. And it was, you know, when he was at Ulm and he was the first uh, Bundesliga coaches to play for at the back, he went famously on, on German television and explained for at the back and the rest of the Bundesliga coaches were like, who is this guy, you know, telling us what we should do. And it's never really changed. He has this, what we say in, ter- in German, called Zendungsbewusstsein, which is kind of an awareness of a message that he wants to send. And I think because he's an outsider, he um, revels in the fact that he's now doing stuff that is very successful and he wants people to, to notice that. And 
I personally like him a lot. I think he's an incredibly smart man, but he kind of come across a little bit preachy and somebody who, you know, is maybe a little bit too um, interested in in in, in t- bringing that message across and doesn't do him that many favors. But they are they are undoubtedly uh, doing incredibly smart stuff on all levels: scouting, tactical deployment of players, the analytics, the te- the, the staff that they have at their coaching uh, academy. Everything is absolutely state of the art. So a lot of things that actually should be uh, seen as a good example of best practice. The problem, once again, is that most people cannot see past sort of the original birth sin of being set up as a as a marketing vehicle. Right, okay. What about a man who sounds, in some ways, the anti-Rangnick, Carlo Ancelotti? Uh, <laughs> no one has ever accused Ancelotti of blowing his own trumpet too loudly. He's made a, a real yeah. virtue of, of avoiding those kinds of pitfalls and has managed all the top clubs in the game. And looking at Bayern's record so far this season... Things are working out pretty well there. I mean, based on the just the crude figures of the table, 16 games, 12 wins, the goal difference is plus 29. Um, is this a case of, of Bayern being a team that's so good it's just managing itself, or is Ancelotti um, doing really well there? No, I think it's, it's been a process, a process for the team getting used to the new regime, which is a lot less intense uh, on all levels, you know, when it comes to discipline off the pitch, when it comes to discipline on the pitch. Some players find it easier to, to cope with that lack of uh, intensity and others find it hard because, um, you know, like, like any other corporate entity, when you have a job that's very relaxed, um, some people kind of take advantage of it and then also become more relaxed and run a little bit less, do a little bit less. And it's been a process, I think, of, of the two of them getting to know each other and finding sort of the right measure of pressure and preparation. And uh, the board have been incredibly nervous about uh, there not being enough training, not being enough intensity. And they've had discussions with him saying, you know what, I think we should do a little bit more. And he says, no, I want the team to be uh, peaking in March, April, May, not now. Trust me. And it's been coming together and also tactically, you know, for the three system that he played again yesterday and yesterday worked beautifully well. Uh, throughout most of the season hasn't worked at all because you basically don't need three central midfielders if you're Bayern Munich because everyone is so deep. Then you've just got three central midfielders kind of passing the ball to each other and no real way of feeding the front man. Um, but yesterday, maybe because it was Leipzig, maybe because they're peaking a little bit later. Bayern turned up and played with an intensity and pace and precision in their passing kind of crispness that we hadn't seen since Guardiola's left. So yesterday, I think, despite the results being generally very good, performances have been pretty underwhelming. Yesterday was the first real Bundesliga performance that was very impressive. And uh, if that's going to set the, the the tone for the rest of the season, then Bayern will have a great season. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're 12 points ahead of the team that most people expected would be their main challengers this season, Borussia Dortmund. And I remember speaking to you last season, talking about uh, Dortmund, and, and they were it was the usual kind of thing that was happening then. Players maybe are are leaving. Mkhitaryan obviously did leave. Hummels went to Bayern. Um, big players for the team. You know, and quality footballers, you would think that any team is going to struggle with losing. You were saying... Now watch this team. This this team is really good, and you know it was a case of the players who are coming through. What's developing there uh, can survive the loss of these guys and can actually go on and 
and win the title. I think you were you were confident that they could do that. So, yeah. what, what's your, what's your opinion of of how things have gone over the first half of the season? They're six, they're twelve points back. Is are they ready to to uh, go off, or uh, is something not quite working? Mm, well, Manuel Neuer, interestingly enough, um, said that for him, he still sees Dortmund as, as the the best team in the league, apart from Bayern, and as the strongest contenders. And the results, I think, have been. Um, not in line with the quality that they have potential going forward. I think the big issue here is, and I think there is maybe some parallels to be drawn with Manchester City and Guardiola, who um, is very much the role model for Thomas Tuchel, is that the stability at the back isn't quite there to to play that kind of football without uh, setbacks. Uh, I think they've now had four games where they've always kind of had to come from behind or maybe even more in a, in a run. Uh, that That's not good for you. Um, they haven't got somebody like Mats Hummels at the back who's a super confident passer of a ball, who also is good one we want and who also has a very kind of a presence and is a uh, somebody who has a very positive impact on the people around them. Now they have Mark Bartra, who was a substitute at Barcelona and sometimes looks it. Um, you know, in goal now, Berkey got injured, so you have Weidenfeller there who's, uh, well past uh, the best age and looks a little bit slow, doesn't look comfortable coming out. So I think the problems are at the back. Um, going forward, they have so much talent and can look so devastating. And I don't know if you saw the two games against Real Madrid, but they played some unbelievably good stuff there that you can just see how, how much there is in this team. The problem is that they haven't got the consistency and stability to, to kind of grind out results, which is what you have to do in the Bundesliga. I still think they're going to come very good in the second half, but they've probably just, yeah, um, let Bayern away, get away with, with that weakness and not taken advantage enough to come back in to really challenge them for the title. Yeah, although I guess in, against Real Madrid, they showed that they're a team that's capable of winning the Champions League, which you know is, means they still have a have a big target. You mentioned Guardiola there, uh, Dorafil. He... There was a detail in the... Uh, this was presumably reported in Germany at the time because it was hardly a secret meeting. They met in a restaurant. But there's a detail in the book about uh, Guardiola recently, the Pepe Evolution, the, the second Marty Perrineau mm-hmm. Guardiola book, that after Bayern beat Dortmund 5-1 last season, a couple of days later, at Tuchel's, uh, Tuchel's request, Guardiola and Tuchel went out for dinner and had a like a, a big chat in some in, in a restaurant with people looking yeah. around. I honestly couldn't believe that when I when I saw that. I thought, really, like, it, I mean, I, I can absolutely see they they both admire each other's work. You know, it's kind of a meeting of minds. But is there not a certain requirement to kind of stay in character as the manager of a team that's just been beaten five one? I was surprised by that. I mean, what did you what did you make of the fact that they 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 met up after this crushing, this withering defeat? I'm not really surprised because Thomas Tuchel paid uh, Guardiola so many compliments during his time at Bayern and was basically said, you know, this this is this is the benchmark, this is where we need to be, this is the kind of football that we have to play, and this is the kind of manager that uh, that I want to learn from. Um, he was so deferential that I'm not surprised that they met two days after that uh, crushing defeat. And I think at the time. It wouldn't have, if it come out at the time, and it kind of came out little by little in the coming weeks. If it come out immediately, even then, I think the reaction wouldn't have been that negative because Dortmund were so far, so far away from from this Bayern team 
um, you know, maybe not in the table, but in terms of quality and in terms of what they could realistically achieve last season, uh, that it wouldn't have been seen as a meeting of, of rivals, but rather um, a good opportunity for, for Tuchel to, to learn from a coach who was going to be off very soon. And uh, there is, there is a, there's a, an addendum to that, and that is that at Dortmund, people are not happy with the fact that Tuchel is Guardiola in his business-like approach to the players and to the club and to the fans. He is just there doing the job. And they feel that he doesn't really buy into this idea of a club as something bigger and something of the community the way Bayern felt about Guardiola not buying into this idea of Bayern as a family, etc. And that's something that rankles and makes the club and the people around him a little bit more impatient now that results are not going well because Tuchel has never really tried to, to appeal uh, to that side of this game. He just wants to play the best football possible and he does it in a way that gets some players nerves a lot the way that Guardiola did and there was a wonderful quote unattributed um, by somebody very close to Dortmund players said this to him Thomas Tuchel is the best coach I've ever had but I'm really not enjoying it <laughs> uh, yeah that's that doesn't that really doesn't actually sound that good when you when you consider how you know, he's clearly really gifted at, at what he does but you also have to be able to connected with people, so hopefully he can figure that side of it out as well. But there was one other thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, Raphael, which is um, actually more to do with the political situation in Germany at the moment. I, it was about 18 months ago now, I think, um, that we saw uh, at grounds all around Germany, this was at the kind of height of the refugee crisis that was happening then, and at grounds all around Germany there was a big movement among supporters um, to... to, to you know, to, to encourage uh, the German government, as they ultimately did, to uh, accept uh, the refugees who were, you know, at the border into Germany. Refugees welcome. You saw these banners everywhere in German football. I'm wondering what the situation with that is now. Has that campaign kept up? Um, is there still evidence of that, that that sentiment is still there? Or has the atmosphere changed? Well, very, very hard to generalize. Only the other day, uh, obviously before the events in, in Berlin, um, the Bayern artists were holding up banners protesting against um, some Afghanistan refugees being sent back. And the, the line was, um, you know, if you consider Afghanistan to be a safe country, um, it would probably be a safe country by the time the left takes over Bavaria, i.e. never. Um, so they were very... You know, very political, very direct in that. Uh, on the whole, I think this whole sort of um, refugees welcome and people kind of, kind of standing up for that, they're a bit on the defensive because in the general view is that Germany did as much as they could without sort of endangering the, the social cohesion and without inviting more of a backlash. And of course, you since had Brexit and you've had Trump and the kind of the mood changing and becoming more negative. Um, so there isn't really the, the 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 borders aren't as open. There isn't really this kind of debate of should we let more people in now? It's what we do do with the people who are already there, and that's of course a much harder argument to say. You know, refugees welcome. So I think you'll you'll see now the the debate become a little bit more nuanced, a little bit harder to to put on banners, um, and that's where Germany at the moment. And of course the the attack on the Christmas market. Um, has to play out in terms of who the 
perpetrator is, if indeed was the guy they're looking for and where he's come from, etc. So it's it's very, very sensitive and football is maybe not the best place to mm. <laughs> to address all these uh these issues. Yeah, absolutely. Well Raphael, listen, thanks a million for uh joining us on the show today and I hope you uh, enjoy the Christmas. Thank you. See if you don't got this out mother will you know me your bags in your desk, boom. Your bags in your desk, boom. I mean it, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got big Terry Butcher in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beep, I take no beep, I take no, I take no, I take no beep. Just what's up, don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. What's it, your fans? You just need to fucking work, you wouldn't it? You are nothing, you are a fool, and you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get a grab! He's your biggest fool in Manchester. Hmm. Thomas uh, Tuckle doesn't sound like the sort of guy that would enjoy listening to the coverage of the Munster Hurling Championship. <laughs> I don't know if he would. I don't. I mean, I I thought that thing with with Guardiola was interesting, and the point that uh, that Rafael was making there about he's um, he's not a guy who buys into all the sort of you know uh, blood brained idiocy uh, surrounding football, which is actually the the kind of emotional part that that attaches people, the bit mm. that people get excited about, you know, like the the mindless partisanship, you know, the the badge kissing nonsense that we all sign up for. Yeah, I mean that's kind of what people like. So, and, and he's kind of saying, well, you know, it's all, it's all, that's all great, but it's it's not really what I'm about. You know, I'm more about the technical tactical side of the game. You know, this is a dance in space, that sort of thing. Mm. Seems like he's at the wrong club. Yeah, echte Liebe is yeah. Part, or, you know true love is their thing, and he's kind of well, you know, love. What is love really? It's a, you know, it's a momentary. It's an attachment, a fleeting attachment in time. You know, mm. probably an adaptive sort of response. Um, um, but I think that kind of kayfabe, you know, is actually important. Like that, that like uh, fans are supposed to believe. You know, when when Alex, do you really believe Alex Ferguson went home and put the pillow over his head and couldn't face anyone and felt when he looked into everyone's eyes that he'd. Be- when I looked into the ma- eyes of a man, I felt I had betrayed that man. This is walking around Manchester after losing five one to Man City in a derby in like nineteen eighty nine. I don't believe that really. But Ferguson knew that he had to. That was playing to the to the to the audience a small bit. It's part of his job. I mean, Ferguson probably went into Old Trafford, mercilessly, you know, abused a few of his players, you know, laid down the law a bit. We say we use the term like laid down the law when we mean brutalized, mm. uh, you know, large, bullied people, and, yeah. bullied bullied people, cracked a whip, used a bit more stick than carrot, and uh, you know, the, uh, as as to whether he was at home moping and weeping and putting his pillow over his head. Come on, but you know he he understood this was this was part of the uh, package. There was an example of it actually in Spain. You know, Kike Sanchez Flores, Hugh Laurie, who was managing Watford for a while. <laughs> yeah, but he's managing Espanyol now. So Espanyol got destroyed by Barcelona. This was the game in which Messi pulled out the dribbling past four guys. Um, Keeper very unhelpfully saved the shot, and Suarez tapped in the rebound. Is that it? Yeah, that yeah. that was the one. I mean, it was kind of like. This is why I'm the best, you know. I know you've got your four Ballon d'Ors and to nobody in particular, but this is why I'm the best. 
And Kike Sanchez Flores totally agreed. He said, Messi's able to change any game. He's the only player in the world who could score a hat-trick in each match if he wanted. Um, and this is, he, people had remarked, or he was asked about the fact that after the final whistle, he actually ran on to the field to congratulate Messi and Iniesta. Uh, and he said, well, at the end, I approached Messi and Iniesta to congratulate them. I congratulated them for their humility. It's impressive. What do you think the reaction is from the Espanol fans to this? You know, I mean, it's, is it not enough that we lose 4-1? Is it not enough that we have to listen to all of this from, you know, all the other people in the city? But now we have Kike Sanchez Flores abasing himself before Messi and Iniesta. Sure, they're good players, but, you know, do you really have to point it out, you know? Quite so publicly. Just save well. it for your autobiography, <laughs> you know? Uh, there's another player in Spain, uh, Ken, and it, I can't help but feel that his star has dipped somewhat in the two and a half years since he finished the World Cup as top goal scorer, uh, James Rodriguez. Yeah, James Rodriguez is in an interesting uh, situation at the moment, uh, which is why Dermot Cargan is waiting on the line now to talk to us about this, because uh, Madrid were in Japan, they won the Club World Championship and Ramos ended up being slammed by Ramos. I should say Rodriguez ended up getting uh, slammed by Sergio Ramos uh, because he had complained in the media about the fact that he was left out of the game. There was it was the first ever game with four substitutes. He wasn't even one of them. Um, Ramos said, "Look, it's not the time. We've just won the, the title. It's not the time to talk about personal matters," which is you know a cutting slap down from the main man in a Real Madrid dressing room. But it looks as though. Uh, basically, Hamas is out of there, Dermot. What do you think the situation is between the player and the club? Yeah, they're sliding away. Like it's pretty clear that Hamas is going to leave at some stage, and it's already everybody's kind of taken up their positions already to try and come out of it as the the good guy in the in the deal. As tends to happen when players like Ozil or Di Maria, pretty big players that aren't quite the top level players, when they leave the Bernabeu. The, there's a PR battle that goes on between the club trying to make it look as if, you know, we wanted to keep this guy, but if he wants to leave, then what are we going to do? And the player himself who doesn't want to, to break his ties with the fans or look like he's he's asked for a move away because Madrid fans are pretty touchy about things like that and they don't like, even though, you know, Hamas has barely played recently or is, is not picked for, for the bigger games, they still expect him to, to just, you know, be loyal to the to the cause. Well, there's two things about that. Number one, why would the player care what Real Madrid fans thought about him if he left Real Madrid? And number two, why are Real Madrid at such pains to disguise, um, you know, what they're really doing when they get rid of players like Ozil Di Maria or Ames? Well, the, on the second point there, I remember being at the Gareth Bale um, unveiling a couple of years, a couple of summers ago, maybe three summers back, and the fans were all chanting Ozil's name because they loved Ozil, and Ozil had been kind of pushed out in order to raise the money to get Bale in. And there's, we were watching Florentino look there with a kind of steely smile on his face while the fans were chanting Ozil's name instead of Bale's name. So it, it's a political thing that goes on amongst the different um, the the Madrid fans who they have some players who they like. Like Hamas was great when he arrived; like he played really well for a season, and he was sold as the as a big star, as a, a possible contender for a Ballon d'Or coming down the line, because he was so great at the at the last World Cup. He won the Golden Ball, you know, played some really good games for Colombia and scored some great goals. So there's a lot of kind of a, a lot of expectations put put into him. And then over the last two years or so, he's just kind of slid away. Just kind of his, his face hasn't really fit there, and um, with the coaches, the, st- the style the style of system that they want to play. With Ronaldo and Bale, he slows it down a bit. He, he's not as, as athletic as them, not as powerful. And 
he himself, I think, he's a pretty stubborn type of a, of a character. He's a very quiet guy. He doesn't talk very much. And he talked after the game at the weekend in the mix zone and watching the video from, from Japan. And he has a bit of a stutter. And he was really kind of embarrassed about what he was saying. Or, but he wanted to get the, the message out there that he wasn't... He liked Madrid. He, he loved the city. He liked the club. But he just needs to play football. And he hasn't played very much recently at all. So, uh, personally speaking, you can kind of understand his situation. But whether it's his agent tells him or whether he feels himself that he has to to play this kind of card and then the club play the other card and it, it works itself out then in the media. You, you mentioned there that he's not as athletic as some of the others. I mean, the, the two players I think he mentioned there were Bale and Ronaldo and, and they're, you know, among the best athletes in the game. Not many players are on that level. Uh, does Hamas though suffer a little bit from maybe a bit like another player I can think of is Mario Götze. Um, he just looks to have a certain fleshy plumpness. Yeah, he has a bit of a gait as well when when he runs. He's not as as smooth. But as you said, like Bale is is a phenomenal. Ronaldo used to be, but Hamas is more of a shuffler when when he's on the ball. And it's like he's still a great player. Like in the World Cup, he was able to. I think that's when he really showed that he wasn't a just a skillful player. Like the game against Brazil, he was getting kicked from from all um, all angles, and he stood up to it really well. And against Uruguay as well, he scored a brilliant goal when when they were trying to trying to target him so he's a he's a guy who I think is it's not that he's weak or it's not that he's physically not strong but it, maybe as you say he doesn't look the part and he doesn't he's not the yeah he's not the, the top class kind of 21st century athlete that the likes of Bale would be well yeah I mean that's the thing though appearances can be deceptive you know what I mean just because yeah. just because someone's got like um hamster like cheeks doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> that they you know can't uh, be a good athlete underneath no, for sure, and he is a great player. Like I think, it's not going to work out for him at the Bernabeu. For he he's not happy with Zidane. Like Zidane doesn't seem to to have him to, to really want him in in the team for whatever reason. Um, well, what what do you think is is actually going on? Because, like, what I mean, where if if James Rodriguez could pick the team himself, where would he put himself, and who would he have? Uh, who 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 would he be playing with? Who what, what where would he fit in the constellation of his ideal team? I would say he'd like to see himself as a as a kind of a number ten. Like he, if you had Ronaldo playing as the Ronaldo's kind of transformed himself into a, a finisher now, a goal scorer, a number nine around the box. Um, Hamas could play behind him and could, could set him up. You know, maybe from Hamas's point of view, he'd probably prefer to have Benzema ahead of him and he could play one and link up with with people. Because he scored, he's a great goal scorer. Hamas, he's not so much a, an assister. He's more of a guy who who scores goals. Like he's, he's he doesn't play that many one twos with people. The way Benzema is happy to to lay to lay the ball off for Ronaldo to score. Hamas is more likely to go for a shot and to, to try and knock it into the top corner from twenty yards, which he does. Like he's a great record from free kicks. Mm. At one stage, he'd scored half of all the free kicks he'd taken for Madrid, which was like four of eight or something. While Ronaldo was blazing them over the bar, and mm. um, which you know you can understand maybe why Hamas got a bit frustrated with it. A Zidane likes his players to work really hard off the ball as well and to, to work hard. If you already have Ronaldo in the team, then you're already one one player down. Even in, maybe mm. in the biggest games, Ronaldo will, will chase around. But even in at this stage, he's he's not able to to track back. So Hamas is not he's not as good at getting back. You know. So where so so has he, has he found himself kind of playing when he does play in wide positions? Yeah, he's played. It, it, well, in the four-three-three, he's played a bit in the kind of Modric, Tony Cruz rule, Tony Cruz rule in midfield role in midfield. 
Sheffield, where he played under Ancelotti and he played pretty well. Like he was working pretty hard at that stage and he was getting up and down the pitch. Um, or he can play as as one of the wide guys cutting in, um, maybe playing top of the right and cutting in onto his left foot and, and having a shot. But within that four-two-three, there's not a there's not a perfect position for him. Like when he plays for Colombia, everything goes through him. Like everybody looks to pick him out, and he he's the the playmaker. He's the main goal scorer. He's the captain of the team. At, at Madrid, he's one of the the kind of the, the guys who come in and out, and it, it just doesn't seem to suit him. Yeah, I mean, he does have great quality, like particularly ball striking quality. Like I remember his. Um, his uh, cross for Benzema's goal, I think the second goal against against Dortmund recently, was yeah, absolutely yeah. amazing. I mean, it's just so you will never see such a perfectly struck ball. It was one of the passes of the season in the Champions League, but he kind of seems like a player who he's like one of those. We were talking about Ozil the other day, and we've already mentioned him here, but like a player who who excels in a position that doesn't really exist anymore. That that could be his problem, all right. Like. He did very well for for Colombia when when it was all about him. Um, there are other players around there who who will do the work for him. Even it was maybe Jackson Martinez or or Baca or somebody who's playing up front who's who's going to work hard and and get around the pitch and be kind of battle with the defenders and give him a, a bit more space. The, the if you're playing a four two three one, then in theory he could be the, the central guy who, who's moving the ball around. Maybe like Mkhitaryan as well at, uh, at Manchester United. Oh, Mkhitaryan or, can run though. I mean, Mkhitaryan yeah. is, a, is a serious mover. I mean, I don't know if I don't know if you can really say that about Hamas. Yeah, that 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 is fair enough. But it, it, the type of when he's on the ball, the type of creating that he likes to do, if he can get that space um, behind a, a target man or somebody who he can play off, would be ideal for him. Maybe in the in the Premier League. Maybe it's more difficult for that. Maybe he has to, to to make a bit of a change himself. But he did try under Ancelotti. He he definitely worked hard and and tried to do what he could when they were playing that four three three. And he scored a lot of goals that year. He scored I think it's like twelve goals and twelve assists or or, or something like that. And a lot of the goals were spectacular, like shots from outside the box or bicycle kicks or stuff. Like talent wise, he's one of the the top players. It'd be up maybe to a coach to try and and fit him into it or to. To make him feel happy and to, to fit him into the team, which I don't think is going to happen at Madrid. No, but I, I don't know where it is going to happen because, you know, I mean, everything we've been saying about him, the only, for, okay, there's, there's a couple of things. First of all, there was a report, you know, that he was in, he's on, obviously on holidays now in Colombia and that he was at the British consulate in Bogota trying to get a visa. Now, whether or not that's true, who knows? But the fact of it is that Real Madrid like to sell their players really expensively. Maybe that's one reason why they they like to pretend they don't want to let Mesut Ozil go, they don't want to let Angel Di Maria go, it's so that they can get uh, an English club to pay fifty million, you know, for the player. Which is they're the only clubs who can afford to spend that kind of money on a player. So, would Real Madrid be looking for that kind of money for James Rodriguez? If so. Um, how is he going to fit into the Premier League, which is the only league that can afford to buy him? Well, he, there was talk during the summer, again, that Inter Milan, when they were being taken over by the, the new Chinese owners, had, had agreed $75 million with with Florentino, but Hamas himself had, had turned it down because he didn't want to go to, to Inter, who are, well, they're going through one of their their dips at the minute or wouldn't have been playing the Champions League. He's not going to Madrid do sell very well. They do. They're pretty good negotiators, and they get they get good money for for Ozil or, or Di Maria when they go. It's been talked about Paris Saint Germain as well of somewhere where where he might be able to go, where he might fit in. But again, with Emery, maybe that wouldn't be the the biggest. The best. They are pretty limited. But I think he like maybe I'm repeating myself, but he's such a talented player that it, it would be up to somebody to try and get him into the team because he does have the. 
he's a, a better ball striker and he's a, a better creative player than than most of the players around. And if he did go to England, then the way that Alexis has, you know, at Barcelona, he was a bit of a bit player, and then he goes and he's he's like the best player in the Arsenal team. I, I think Hamas has the talent to, to do something like that, even if he went to to Arsenal or Chelsea or, or United. Okay, Darren. Well, thanks for joining us there, and I uh, hope you enjoy the uh, Christmas season. Cheers, Ken. Happy Christmas to everybody there as well. Hello, this is Lebanon. Why is Lebanon apparently voiced by Apple? I've been working hard day and night, and now things have changed. Um, yeah, I was invited to, to purchase some property in Portugal. I want you to walk with me. I actually can't afford even anything that you're selling. I'm just not on the market. Home is waiting. Well, best of luck with it. So, James Rodriguez to Manchester United, Ken? Well, I, I want to ask you a hypothetical question. Okay. You know the biggest Manchester United fan in your life? Yes. You know who he is? Yeah, I know who he is. He's your brother? Yes, my brother John. Uh, uh, what's the name of it? Well, Red Cafe. <laughs> multiple multiple, uh, multiple ID IDs, users. But he's, <laughs> several of his IDs have been banned, you know, for yeah, abuse, getting yeah. over emotional. But he... <laughs> but he, he, he what he would Guillermo Mariano think of all this? He, he was saying, you know, Look, this this Manchester United thing is really about to take off. The football they're playing is amazing. Mm. This is incredible. Oh yeah, yeah. This is about a month ago. I, was I like, know the results haven't been good, but yeah, football has been amazing. How do you think he would feel? If Hammers he sounded like Roy, Roy Hodgson in the group stages of Euro twenty sixteen. That's basically what John sounded like a month ago. Yeah. <laughs> someday soon, We're, someone's gonna someone's oh. gonna get an absolute battering. Oh, I shudder to think. Um, but James Rodriguez, a man who is represented by George Mendes, mm-hmm. um, good relations with the club. Yeah, imagine he was to turn up at Manchester uh, at Old Trafford mm-hmm. um, with a number ten shirt. Demand the number ten, okay? Wayne great. Rooney, Wayne Ro- no, not demand. Wayne Rooney's actually given him the number ten shirt and is now number sixty two. Mm. Rooney has uh, has said has has said I, w- I want to welcome Hamas to the club. And I'm I've happy. seen the future of Manchester United Football Club. I'm happy for him to take Hamas the number ten shirt. Yeah, what do you think the reaction would be of you're the oh, biggest Manchester United fan? You know, I think there would be some severe deaths. Oh, you think skepticism? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Why? I th- I think that uh, a lot of fans of English clubs can't. There's there's this idea that uh you know he couldn't make it at Real Madrid. You know, like this is the worst thing that's ever happened. You know, if he'd played for you know, say Espanyol, as we were, who we were talking about earlier, and had like, you know, did had done brilliantly at Espanyol, you kind of think, well, you know, our club, you know, it's you know the obvious step up, you know, whereas Angel Di Maria, Mesut Ozil, all these guys, like they're obviously amazingly good players, yeah. but it's like, ah, oh, well, you know, step down. You so, know? That, so you think that he would he would feel a little bit broken hearted just to be standing there in his Manchester yeah. United number ten yeah, shirt? Yeah, yeah, it's like, well, listen. You know, things didn't work out how I planned, but here I am at Old Trafford. I might as well make the most of it. Yeah, I guess I, Which fo- is, I just, fold my towel. It's what grace I can. <laughs> uh, thinks Hamez. Uh, I don't know. Imagine maybe Manchester United have a bit of a, you know, self-esteem issues mm. if they're if they're worried about that kind of stuff. Although maybe it is a good I don't idea. Don't spent that much time on Red Cafe, but uh, <laughs> either I should stop talking about Red Cafe. Yeah, yeah, it's just just as well maybe not to buy your players from Real Madrid because they're going to be expensive and maybe they're going to be also a bit sick that they've ended up at yeah. your club. Yeah. Okay, that's uh, that's pretty much it. Thanks everyone for listening. We've already released the second captain sports pudding uh, today, where my dog was once again the uh, subject of sustained attack. Yeah. But that's fine. I mean, I'm not bothered. Uh, we'll be releasing a show on St. Stephen's Day again on the 28th of December. So 
Uh, plenty of good stuff coming up, coming up from us in the next week. Have a good one. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Kieran. And have a really great Christmas, everybody. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 